Welcome to the Mini Break, your daily podcast for the biggest storylines, results, and controversies from the tennis world. Today is Saturday, March 11th. It is currently 11 p.m. Eastern time, meaning there are three singles matches right now that remained unfinished on day four of the 2023 Indian Wells event. Those matches are Elkaraz Kokonakis, Keys Kirstea, and Bedosa Perez as Diaz for obvious reasons, those three will not be discussed here on this podcast. If something significant happens, I will be sure to record an emergency edition of the show for all of you listeners tomorrow morning. Nevertheless, still 29. Fantastic round two battles for us to discuss here on this edition of the podcast. There were 10 upsets overall on the day, and just a reminder, we had 32 round two singles matches, at least one seed competing in 31 of the 32 matches, the one exception, Andy Murray, obviously getting a lucky loser here today in Radu Elbot following Pablo Carreño Busta's withdrawal from Indian Wells, but still 31 seeds in action, 10 upsets on the day. That sounds significant, and yet I don't think we lost a single title contender overall on the day. I'm also not sure how many of these 10 results qualify under the formal definition of an upset. And on this show, we'll go through each of those upsets on a case-by-case basis. Yes, if you're the seeded player, I think just about all of them leave today disappointed. But, you know, a couple of the players who earned those upsets, Karolina Mukova, Marketa Vandrusova, Jack Draper, those are names we've had circled here at Crack Rackets for a while as players we know when playing their best are capable of competing with and maybe even beating just about anyone. So want to break down all of those upsets for all of you listeners today. Of course, there were plenty of seeds who looked the part on the day as well. Iga Svantec rolling 0-1 over Claire Liu. I'm not sure how much there is to break down from an analytical perspective from the match because Iga rolled, but God, does she look great on this surface, and I suppose we can get into that in a little bit further depth. On the men's side, you had uh, certainly plenty of encouraging results from the seeds on the day, whether it be Yannick Sinner rocking and rolling against Richard Gasquet, Tommy Paul looking exceptional, and yes, I buried the lead, Taylor Fritz, three-set victory over Ben Shelton in a match that... I don't know how extraordinary the tennis was from start to finish, but certainly the moment felt grand. You could feel the tension, the significance in the later stages of each of the three sets. And again, it says a lot about Taylor Fritz that he pulls through in this moment, that he was able to weather the storm that was Ben Shelton, that he is ready to take on any challenger uh, to his crown as the king of American men's tennis right now. And yeah, there were little things tactically definitely to touch on from the match. It was fascinating. The TC plus feeds, you could hear the conversations between each of these players and their sideline boxes and you know, again, the insights gleaned from that, I suppose I want to share with all of you here on today's show. But yeah, that's the blockbuster result of the day. Fritz, again, three sets over Ben Shelton. But plenty of other seeds having success on the day. Plenty of other three-set battles for us to get into. So that will be the plan to recap all but three of the singles matches that occurred thus far on day four of Indian Wells. Of course, the reason we're able to do this day in, day out here on this show is because of the support we get from all of you listeners. We're immensely grateful for your 
your support. And by the way, if you're looking for more Cracked Rackets content, be sure to like, rate, subscribe, review this show, the Great Shot Podcast, Cracked Interviews Podcast, the Breakpoint Show. You can find all of our content as well. Our interns up to all sorts of things on our website, CrackedRackets.com. Be sure to like, rate, subscribe. Uh, excuse me, like, rate, follow, share, whatever it is, comment, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, at Cracked Rackets, at Ale Gruskin. You know where to find us, of course. A shout out as well to the biggest supporters of this mini break podcast, our dearest friends and sponsors over at Tennis Point for all of the best equipment at the lowest prices, tennis-point.com. You use our promo code CR15. You'll get 15% off all sale items. Free two-day shipping on all orders exceeding $75. A free can of Wilson Extra Duty Tennis Balls. But perhaps more importantly, you let us let them know, excuse me, that we sent you there. We're immensely grateful for the support we get from our friends at Tennis Point. The least we can do, ask you to support them as well. Tennis-point.com. The promo code is CR15. Now, with the usual premises set, let's get into day four at the 2023 Indian Wells. We'll start with the women's singles action. Five seeds knocked out on the day. Those seeds were 12th seeded Ludmilla Samsonova, 14th seeded Victoria Azarenka, 20th seeded Magda Lynette, 25th seeded Petra Martic, and 28th seeded Marie Bozhkova. As I established in the intro, I don't think any of those players were tier one title contenders entering this event. I'm also not sure how many of those results qualify under the formal definition of an upset. So let's run through each of them on a case-by-case basis. I'll start with the results that surprised me the least. If you listen to these shows at all over the past few days, you know I thoroughly expected Marketa Vandrosova to knock out Marie Boshkova. She did precisely that. Now, I didn't anticipate the one-in-one result, but I think that's a testament to how well these conditions suit the former French Open champion. And you look now for the 23-year-old Marketa Vandrosova, who, of course, let's remember, 2019 French Open finalist reached as high as number 14 in the world ranking. She was out from the end of April to the end of October last season with injury. Now, since returning to the court, though, 17-6. and six. Overall, during that stretch of time, she won in 100K, made a quarterfinals at a 125, quarterfinals at a 250, third round of the Australian Open where she beat Anshabur before getting knocked out by Fruvertova, semifinals in Linz as well. Disappointing result for her in Dubai, the loss to Pliskova, but now a 2-2 two and two win over Marino, 1-1 one and one win over Boshkova. If that's not clearly a top 50 player, I don't know what one looks like, but even more even beyond that, I have always been a fan of the lefty Vandrosova, her ability to move the ball around the court, and in particular, given how difficult it is to hit through these Indian Wells courts, you have to be able to create space for yourself. You have to be able to open up angles, open up lanes to attack, whether it be two cross-court forehands to open up the down the line, whether it be a short angle to open up the down the line and move in behind, whether it be hitting behind players, mixing in changes of pace. I have said it before, I'll say it again, I think the best drop shot in all of tennis belongs to Marketa Vandrosova, 23 years old, like, and she's been, she's made a slam final and been top 20 in the world. Not going to find a lot of players who qualify for those metrics right now in the WTA rankings. I, I just see it again, the physicality, the fluidity, her ability to change directions, move in and out of corners, the depth she's able to generate on her shots from the corners. Not only does she have time there, but, you know, again, 
not afraid to elevate a ball 25 feet above the net to buy herself time. Now, some would accuse this that of being moonball tennis. I don't think it is. I think it's all tactical. I think she finds angles, again, extraordinarily well. It's like if Brooksby was a better athlete. That's how I see Marketa Vondrosova, if that makes sense to all of you listeners. I think that's actually a pretty good comparison. Vondrosova, as if... If you do agree with that, because I feel pretty pr- proud of that one in the moment, please do tweet at A.L. Gruskin. I want to know. I think that's fair. Von Drosova is a, is a more athletic Brooksby. I think that's an accurate comp. And, you know, again, or maybe Brooksby is a less athletic Von Drosova. That's probably the more accurate phrasing given their credentials to this point. Look, Marie Boshkova just did not have a weapon to hurt Von Drosova with. Everything was on her terms. There's not much you can say from an analytics perspective or an analysis perspective when it comes to a one-in-one match. It was a railroading. Von Drosova was that good. You look now for Marketa Von Drosova, obviously gets through one seed coming up next for her. Uh, she's going to take on Anjabur Jabur, the three-set win over Magdalena Freich, which I'll get to in a little bit. I think Von Drosova wins that match. I said it before the tournament. I'll say it again. And after watching, you know, uh, Freak, oh, I don't. Jabur really struggled in the first set. You can tell she's not fully fit yet. She was very streaky. Now, Freck didn't have a weapon to hurt Jabur with. Von Drosova does just with, you know, she, there's a little bit more pace. She finds a little bit more angle, gets outside the ball, obviously, a little bit better. Everything's just a little bit better than Magdalena Freck. That's going to be an interesting third-round match. It's one you circle. I have it on major upset alert. I would pick Vondrosova to win again. I think it's when, not if, Vondrosova gets back into the top 25 of the rankings with this result. It's crazy to say she's still currently sitting at number 110. Yeah, that's that's underranked. She should be much higher than that. She wins another match here this week. She'll get up to number 103. Wow, needs to make the quarterfinals to get back in the top 100. I mean, that makes sense. She has 23 matches on her resume over the course of the past year, or I suppose if you include some of the results from the end of April, a few more than that. But yeah, it's when, not if. she's gonna. I, I would be shocked if she's not in the top 50 of the rankings by the end of this season because there's no doubt her quality of play is top 50 good. And for what it's worth, you look at the ELO rankings right now. Vondrosova currently 25th in the overall ELO rankings, 42nd based on just her 2023 results. Yeah, I think that's far more accurate. So that's my least surprising upset of the day as you look at the other ones that occurred I think number two has to be Carolina Mukova over Victoria Azarenka, not because I doubt what Azarenka is capable of, but because that's just how well Carolina Mukova has been playing. And it's another player who, let's not forget, has made a Grand Slam semifinal, been ranked in the top 20, is still just 26 years old. And, you know, since returning to the court from injury and, you know, again, she was out from, well, I guess she played sparingly throughout the course of last season, but was never really healthy at any point last year. And yet you look for her here, 2023 results specifically now, nine and three overall on the year. And, you know, again, had to withdraw in the Dubai quarterfinals against Pagula. Unfortunately, was just very, very sick. But, you know, you, tough quarterfinal lost in Auckland. First match of the season to Masarova, 6-6. Six and six, First tournament of the season, excuse me. But you start out with a quarterfinal. You lose 7-6 in the third in Australia to Danielle Collins. 6-4 in the third to Caroline Garcia. Now into the third round of Indian Wells with wins over Putin Seva in three sets. And now Azarenka. That is the resume. Again, of a top 
30 player in the world. And for what it's worth, based on her results this year, Mukova right now 31 in the ELO rankings. She's 22 in 2023 specific ELO ratings. I agree with those far more than her ranking, where right now Mark Carolina Mukova, excuse me, currently sitting at 66 in the actual WTA rankings. The ELO ratings are far more reflective of the level we've seen from Mukova, who, again, is just an extraordinary athlete. Like, her ability to absorb and redirect pace, just how well she sets her feet and holds her ground, you know, her ability to take her forehand on the rise, follow it in, her ability to play the slice backhand, change direction with it down the line. She just never let Azarenka dictate from the center of the court. She never played more than three balls in the same direction. And I know some of these are platitudes, and I'm not pointing to specific points here. And it's tough to do that when you have 29 singles matches to get through. I don't want to spend too long on anything specifically. But, you know, again, Mukva is now 9-3 and three overall on the year. She's playing like a top 30 player. She was a top 30 player prior to getting injured back in 2021. And, you know, again, hasn't really fully been healthy since uh for a stretch like this in a while she is she's put together top 30 results that was a really good win over Azarenka you know again a close match that's why it wasn't particularly surprising I thought it would be close I'm not surprised that Mukova won that was a pick and not that Azarenka again has played poorly and Azarenka was awesome in the month of January semifinals obviously of Australia and you know Played really good tennis in Adelaide and wins over Kalanina and Junction when two matches I was fortunate enough to be on the broadcast for 42. You know, losses in the Middle East to Benchich and Keys, one of them in three sets. I don't think there's any shame in those losses. Tough loss, obviously, to Mukova on a surface that should suit her well, but. You know, again, I think it says more about Mukova than it does about Azarenka. So I wasn't particularly shocked by that result either. Next up, Petra Martic, and this is no disrespect to Martic, who again has been a top 50 player for about a decade consecutively now, and guess what? You want to make a pro career in in pro tennis, the dream is to be top 50 for that long, because then you don't need a second job, then the first job is enough, and for what it's worth, because I think this is also fun for perspective, Petra Martic, her career earnings, 32 years old is Petra Martic, she's made $7.5 million dollars. It's not bad. That's where I hope to be when I'm 32 years old. God willing, I'll have made $7.5 million. Someone's going to cut this clip, show it to my dad, and he'll go, ha, as he is prone to doing from time to time. But, I mean, you look for Petra Martic, made a final in Linz earlier this year. You know, you look for her in her career at Indian Wells. Petra Martic, has she had a ton of success at this event historically? The answer to that question uh, would be actually yes. And it makes sense, right? Because it's a slower, high-bouncing surface. And, you know, she can play the slice, play the angles. She gets outside her forehand so well that generates space cross-court, moves into the uh, forward behind the ball as well. She's made the quarterfinals here twice. But, man, I'll tell you what. Vivara Gracheva has been on one. The 22-year-old Russian has just found her best tennis here to start 2023. 15-9 overall in the year. Obviously made the final last week in Austin as well. Comes through qualifying after making that final in Austin. Now gets to the third round here in Indian Wells. Plays a very winnable match uh, against Daria Kasakina. Does she have elite weapons? No, but she's someone who can do a little bit of everything. And I mean, again, you look for Gracheva now. I mentioned that 22 years old fact. She was, you know, a top 20 junior in the world with someone who had a ton of ITF success when she was younger. And, you know, now, again, you see her 
inside the top 65. And following this win, Gracheva up to a new career high of 57, 22 years old. Someone you got to be looking out for. Do I think she's going to be the Lechechka equivalent of the player who makes that rapid rise? No, I don't think she has quite the weapon that Lechechka does in his serve and forehand. And just trying to say like a player who wasn't a the highest, a most highly touted junior, but clearly is having success throughout the courses of various stages of their careers as Gracheva has. I don't see that. Absolutely, can be it can put together a Martich-like career where, again, she's in the top 50 for a decade, and now you don't have to worry about what your second job is moving forward for a little bit. Uh, credit to Gracheva. That was a really good victory from her. Your other two upsets on the day, again, two really good matches. I mean, God, did Emma Raducanu need to make this third round here at Indian Wells. You look for Raducanu. She has won uh, now multiple matches at uh, – now a couple of different events here over a span after not having that at for a long stretch of time in 2022, not being able to win multiple matches in a single event. Yet she'd get through some first rounds, but then, you know, quick exits and, you know, credit to Radakan who wins here over Kavinich, Magdalenette in straight sets. You look for Radakan who 7-6-6-2 victory over Lynette. It was extraordinarily physical, and the thing that impressed me the most was how well Raducanu was hitting through her forehand, the depth on that wing. You know, you'll see on the highlight reel the explosive cross-court forehand winner. She hit in the first set on a fun cross-court exchange between the two players. Also, shout-out to Magda Lynette. Her overhead off of the high forehand volley from Raducanu. I like that shot more than I like many of the tweeners we've seen so far this year. I think that's my favorite shot of the season. That was ridiculous. But look, the line drive tennis of Emma Raducanu was giving the Magda Lynette forehand some difficulties. And we know how hard it is to play line drive tennis on this Indian Wells surface. And yet, that's how well Raducanu was hitting the ball. With that sort of depth, with that sort of pace, she was tracking down everything. I thought she volleyed pretty well. She served well, no doubt about that. You look for Emma Raducanu on the day. Again, was able to win 88% of her first serve points even though she only made 52% of her first serves. But again, it was how she played first strike tennis throughout the course of the match that was particularly impressive. Again, going after her first forehands. It was really good tennis from Raducanu. And she's into the third round here for the second consecutive season. You look for Raducanu with the win back up to number 74 in the live rankings, which again is nowhere near her career high of 10, but 20 years old in the top 100 in the mix makes your life a little bit easier moving forward and, all due respect, I think we all know Radakanu will get wild cards into the big events if she needs them, but you know, now can inches closer and closer back to just getting into that top fifty on her own. Has a very winnable match against Beatrice Haddad Maya in the third round. And credit to Haddad Maya, who survives in three sets today. Played a very tricky match with Katerina Sinyakova. Um I mean again, Radakanu needed it. Nineteen and seventeen in her last fifty two weeks. But now has a round of 16 results in Cincinnati, a round of 32 results here at Indian Wells. She's got quarterfinals in Washington all in the past, you know, four or five months as she navigates that clay court season and gets into, obviously, a pivotal grass court season as well. Should be enough to keep her in the top 100. Another win over Hadad Maya, though. You look for Emma Raducanu. That victory will get her up to number 72 in the rankings. Okay, needs to win a couple more matches if she wants to make a top 50 push here at Indian Wells. But again, big win for Raducanu. And then final upset of the day. This one did shock me a little bit. 
it was Ludmilla Samsonova knocked out by uh, Bernardo Pera. Samsonova, 2-6, 7-6, 7-6. She falls. Now, credit to Pera. Uh, credit to, yeah, credit to Pera, excuse me, who fought off a couple of match points in the breaker in the second set. I think she fought off a couple of match points in the third set as well. This story was Samsonova, who just, again, when the fastball wasn't working, when the forehand went, uh, forehand, excuse me, when the first serve went astray, she struggled in this match. And, you know, you look for Bernarda Pera. She also had 12 breakpoint chances. You know, Patrick, uh, Bernarda, excuse me, Samsonova had 12 breakpoint chances. Bernardo Pera had 13. Um, again, it was just, it was sloppy tennis. There were not a lot of extended rallies in this match. And credit to Bernardo Pera, who Samsonova worked in Cleveland last summer. Pera played more aggressively with the first strike. She didn't give Samsonova anything loopy or high to the forehand to just sit in and pop. That said, even after going down a break, because Bernardo Pera was up 5-3 in the second set, served for it, Samsonova got the break back. When she got to match point, there's one on her serve, 6-5 in the breaker. You thought, okay, this is it. This is where she puts it away. Samsonova double faulted that match point away. And again, it was just too streaky from Samsonova throughout the course of the day. Now, credit to Bernardo Pera, who again had has a ton of points to defend in the summer. She had, what, the one 18 matches, an 18 of 19 matches stretch last summer. Um, but she didn't have a signature run like this. And now, not again, a signature victory over a top 20 player in Samsonova gets her up to a new career high, ranking number 38 going into this clay court stretch, where, again, Bernard Perez had to play so many qualifying matches over the course of the years. You're getting into main draws everything over the course of the next few months. She has positioned herself perfectly to rack up more points as again. Then she has that massive summer of points to defend. Credit to Para for capitalizing on this moment, but definitely a tough result for Samson. Who just, dude, she didn't have it. Like, again, it's a credit to the weapons she does possess that even when she's at 50% capacity, if she's making the first serve, there's just going to be such an open lane for her first forehand that, of course, she's going to put that ball in play. Of course, she's going to win the point. That's why she's the number two server on the WTA Tour right now, trailing only uh, Caroline Garcia. Yeah, like it was it was a struggle today. Again, you feel like if she can just find a 75% rally ball, that rally ball is still going to overwhelm just about everyone because of how heavily her forehand actually is. But again, those are your five upsets on the day. Samsonova, Azarenka, Lynette, Martich, and Bozhkova all knocked out. Now, plenty of other results to touch on, certainly. Let's start with the top seed, Iga Svantec, and we can do this one quickly. 0-1, she's everywhere. I don't know how you're going to get a ball by her on this surface. Slow, gritty. I mean, we see her on clay. The Indian Wells hard court, the closest thing we have of a hard court to clay, other than maybe what we see in Nur Sultan. Deep cut. Shout out to those who get that reference. I mean, poor Claire Lou, who does have a little hitch on the forehand. And God, the heavy pace, the heavy topspin, Iga hit into that forehand wing. Every forehand Claire Lou hit was left short. She had Claire Lou stretched in the outer thirds. The moment Claire Lou turned to slice, the point was over. I mean, credit to Lou for getting on the board. But 0-1, Iga cruises. She's the definitive favorite. 36.7% chance, uh, according to Tennis Abstract, 36.2, excuse me, of winning the event. test says even more than that. Uh, you know, again, there were a bunch of seeds who were also tested on the day that I thought was pretty interesting and worth getting into. Onjabur uh, did not play well. Like, just, oh my God, the amount of unforced errors in the first set was off the charts. Again, Magdalena Freak was moving the ball around the court. 
she was not taken much early. She was not being particularly aggressive. It was just errors off of Owens's racket. And credit to Owens, who looked gassed midway through the second set. She found a third or second or third wind, and you know, again gave herself a little bit more margin. The slices started finding their way into the corners and into the court. The forehand on the rise became that much more difficult to deal with for Freak after having to run into an uncomfortable position to track down the slice. Jabur escapes in three sets. I mean, again. I think Von Drosova beats her in round three, but that's just because Jabir is not fully – she's just not back to her full self yet. and She's got plenty of time to get there. Certainly, Bianca Andreescu made life miserable for herself. I mean, was extraordinarily streaky and credit to dear friend of the program, former NCAA singles champion Peyton Stearns for making Andreescu's life miserable with heavy serves and heavier forehands. That Peyton Stearns forehand is already a top 25 forehand, in my opinion, in terms of heaviness, effectiveness as a weapon amongst forehands on the WTA Tour. But everything Stearns could do, Andreescu could do a little bit better. She hit some breathtaking shots, including this one cross-court forehand early in the third set on her way to securing the 3-0 break, uh, 3-0 double break lead. Uh, that was just mesmerizing, but that's been the case for Andreescu now for a year. There are five minutes where she's the new Sabalenka. At seven minutes of breathtaking tennis, followed by five minutes of consecutive errors where you're just asking yourself, what is going right now? What is going on right now in Bianca Andreescu's head? She looks fit. When she's, again, when she's focused, she goes up 3-love, immediately gets broken for 3-1, retakes a 4-1 lead, goes up 5-1 only to make it 5-3. And again, it just... It got tricky, and that's a credit to Stearns, who does not go away. We saw that in her victory in round one. We saw that again here, even in defeat in round two. But Andrescu survives. She advances, sets up the blockbuster match between her and Iga. Clear schedules, folks. That's going to be a delight on Monday. And again, other seeds tested on the day. Elena Rabakina, 6-6 six and six win over Sonia Kennan. I've said it before. Maybe now you'll all take me a little bit seriously. Sonia Cannon looks like a top 50 player. No, she doesn't pull uh, out the victory in this match. I think this is a terrible matchup for her in the sense that Rabakina just has weapons that expose the fact that, you know, Cannon's a counterpuncher. She wants to take your pace, absorb it, redirect it, move in the drop shots, play the short angles, beat you with her on the rise, down the line, sneaky, impressive pop. Her ability to get outside the ball and create space cross-court is just remarkable. And there were moments where Rabakina's like, look, I'm just not going to track that one down. Congrats. You beat me there. But Kennan is not an elite mover. She's fine, but she's not an elite mover. And you have to be elite or you have to have elite weapons to throw Rabakina off her spot to deal with the pace that Rabakina brings. And again, it was a really good match with really thin margins. Rabakina's pace wins out in the end. Credit to Kennan, who kept up with the first strike, was creative in how she did it. But Rabakina looked really good in a 6-6 six and six victory. Your other results on the day, and we'll go through these a little quicker. Trevisan, three-set win over Brangle. That was a war. Kasakina, straight sets over Maria. That was impressive. Again, former world junior number one, Dalma Golfi can do things. She doesn't have the most, remar- you know, doesn't have elite Serena Williams Power Tennis Country Club potential, but crafty, moves really well, gets outside the ball well. She had Garcia in the outer thirds. Garcia's pace, though, wears her down in the end. Garcia escaping with a three-set victory. Leila Fernandez tested 2-4 and four win over Emma Navarro, but it was far more competitive than your typical straight-set match. Credit to Navarro. She just finds ways to win points. When she gets the chance to set in a forehand, she can absolutely drive through it. I don't think this surface is the best for her, and yet... 
Fernandez was taking the return. Fernandez just feasted on the Navarro serve, and that's obviously got to be Emma's focus moving forward. Haddad Maya, tricky three-set win over Sinyakova, as I mentioned earlier. And again, going on right now, uh, Kirstea taking on Keys, but Dosa taking on Paris as Diaz. Unfortunately, don't think I'm going to have a result for you on those, as those are still ongoing. Oh, interesting. Madison Keys withdrawing. She dropped the first set, 6-1 to Serrano Kirstea. I didn't see what happens, but that's obviously unfortunate to hear. Bedosa Paris as Diaz. Uh, Bedosa already up a break in the first set, but... That's all of your round one women's action. Now, coming up tomorrow, again, plenty of fun round three battles. The one I would say I have my eyes on most closely. How does Coco Goff handle the weapons of Linda Nuskova? Two 18-year-olds. Again, Nuskova will have pace into the Goff forehand. She will make Coco work, but athletically, Coco has looked on another level this season. So I'm really looking forward to that. I think Pagula Potapova is going to be sneaky physical. Kvitova, Ostapenko, not going to be long points, but if you like power tennis, that's for you. Kudermatova, Pliskova, Sakari, Kalanina. I mean, again, you have four all-seeded matches in the top half of that, in that, excuse me, Pagula quarter, I should just say. It's a really fun third round. And as of right now, your favorite to come out of the bottom half of the draw is Arena Sabalenka, 23% Pagula, 17% Goff, 14.4%, Krejcikova, 11.9%. Then you get to Sakari at 8.1%. That is a loaded bottom half of the draw. And again, Krechikova, Sabalenka, Pagula. Dare I say I don't want to be I don't want to coordinate Sviantek this early, but one of those players does feel like the one most likely to knock off or have not most likely to, but have the best chance at knocking off Iga Sviantek. So I like that all of them are in the bottom half of the draw. I think that's a fascinating section. And so again, looking forward to watching round three unfold tomorrow. Enough on the women though. Let's move over to the men's singles draw now. And again, Carlos Alcaraz still taking on Tanasi Kokonakis as I'm recording this podcast, that match uh, currently in the first set as we speak, but still have 15 other results to touch on here today and five upsets overall. None of these players were tier one contenders. As good as Alex Diemenauer looked in Mexico, slow, high bouncing, gritty surface is never going to be where he thrives. And Look, again, straight set loss for him to Marton Fucevic. It was a very physical match. It was just, I mean, again, it was a war out there. Like, they were going breaks back and forth uh, early uh, throughout the course of that second set. Demonauer finally leveled things only for, uh, throughout the course of the first set. Excuse me, Demonauer finally leveling things in the second set, getting the break back for 2-0, and then Fucevic rips off uh, for 1-2 and then holds for 2-0. Fucevic from there ripping off four straight games to end the match. Demon just couldn't hit through these courts. And with clay court season on the horizon, obviously a surface he has perennially struggled on. This does not bode well for him moving forward. That said, again, Fucevic particularly prepared to match the physicality of Demon Hour given his size on this surface. Poor matchup. Still one given his result in Mexico. You would have liked to see Demon Hour win. Unfortunately, he was unable to do so. Other upset, Borna George, he just didn't have it today. Alex Mulchan on a slow, gritty, high-bouncing surface. Mulchan, who predominantly had the majority of his success on clay courts. He was working the angles, the drop shots. He was giving George fits. George won about 50% of his service points overall for the match. Again, Mulchan was taking them not as approach shots, but it was almost drop-and-hit feeds that Mulchan then had control of the point for. 
you know, it's interesting. George, who early in his career was so physical, right? Maybe would have loved this gritty surface. I think he needs a little faster of a court now to get into his big serve, his first forehand, play the aggressive sort of tennis he, my eyes say he wants to play. Again, George just didn't have it today. So that result, not particularly surprising. Uh, your other upsets, Lorenzo Musetti. He has not had a good start to his season. He gets knocked out by Adrian Manorino. How Manorino has won two matches at Indian Wells team. Musetti, two guys who, again, aren't in particular form. I suppose it's a good draw, but high, bouncing, gritty surface for Manorino, who has won fewer than 50% of his clay court matches at the tour level in his career. Are you kidding me? Like, talk about a dream run for Adrian. So shout out to the Frenchman, I suppose. Stan Wawrinka. Big win for Stan. Oh, by the way, just quick Ega note because it will bother me. Leave it in. No rewind sound effect necessary. But she's now second all-time in win percentage at 1,000-level events in WTA Tour history. She trails just Serena. She's 21 years old, and she passed Sharapova and trails just Serena. That's nuts. That's crazy. And also crazy, again, the fact that you did have um, – Five seeds upset on the day. Poor transition. Miamir Kesmenovic knocked out by Stan Wawrinka. I believe Stan Wawrinka, I'll have to look it up. I know he achieved some sort of significant wins milestone. He passed someone uh, with his victory 6-4 and four over Kesmenovic. Again, Stan's ball is dynamic enough to hit through this court. Kesmenovic was defending a ton of points, so that's a tough loss for him there. But he just really couldn't hurt Stan, which, again, speaks to his lack of rhythm, his lack of pace right now. But, again, credit to Stan Wawrinka, really good victory uh, for the Stanimal, who, you know, again, still a top 100 player. That's what it is. He's now, you look overall in his career, victories at Masters 1000 events on hard court. He's uh, not, excuse me, overall, he is now ninth all time. He trails just Rafa. Djokovic, Federer, Murray, Agassi, Burdich, Sampras, Ferrer, then Stan at 159. Not bad. Not too shabby at all. Of course, one of the men I mentioned he's behind. Fourth all-time, Andy Murray. First straight set victory for him since September. He's now fifth most hardcourt wins for a man in the open era. He trails just uh, Nadal, Agassi, Djokovic, and Federer. He passed Jimmy Connors. There's no doubt he's an unequivocal Hall of Famer, but again, there was a big four era, and four and three over Radu Elbot. Elbot did not have a weapon to hurt him. I love how well Murray's stepping into the baseline rallies right now. Again, extraordinarily impressive. You know, again, anyways, Kesmanovich did not have those sorts of weapons to, to hurt Stan Wawrinka with, so that's upset number four. And then, you know, again, your fifth upset of the day, Jack Draper. Look, a slow, high-bouncing, gritty surface. Not great for Dan Evans, who wants to play the slice, keep that ball low, and, you know, again, wants to move forward, wants to put some pressure on you by taking the ball early, beating you to the spot that's really hard to do here on these slow, gritty hard courts. Uh, but credit to Jack Draper, man. I mean, Draper's just the real deal. The lefty can match the physicality of anyone right now. Again, I've never seen him miss. That's not true, but very rarely misses a mid-rally backhand. When he has time on the forehand, he gets after it. That ball is dynamic. He's comfortable following it to the net. He's an excellent volleyer with, again, a top 25 serve. You look for Draper now, 35-20 and 20 over his last 52 weeks, 25-17 and 17 at the ATP level. But you look for him against top 50 opponents, 15-12 and 12 overall during that stretch. Again, 21 years old, doesn't turn 22 till the end of December. He has clearly established himself as a top 50 player. And with his serve, with his physicality, 
how set the backhand is, how confident he is in his patterns, I would be shocked if the 21-year-old does not end the season inside the ATP top 25. That's how confident I am in his game again, how professional, how decisive he was from the start against Jack Draper. But yes, I realize I've buried the lead. Let's get into it. Shelton Fritz, your result of the day, your popcorn match. Ultimately, Taylor Fritz, who won just three points on Ben Shelton's serve in the first set, able to rebound Taylor Fritz, ultimately a 4-6-6-4-6-3 victory over Shelton. I mean, Shelton had his chances, right? You felt like he was about to break 4-5-4 in the second set. Worked Taylor Fritz in that game. Fritz, a couple sloppy errors to start the game. You can't give Ben a window like that, right? Because then all of a sudden he'll connect on a forehand. He'll get to the net and put some pressure on you. And yet Taylor found big serves when he needed them. You know, again, Ben, ben shot selection is not the most, it's not the most disciplined. That's the way to say it right now. He's not afraid to go for a short angle rip at a long rally or, you know, try to pull off the spectacular, mix in the drop shot, mix in the slice when maybe he shouldn't. And yet that dare to dream, that, that Tate, that imagination, that's what makes Ben so spectacular. That's what makes him so captivating. That's what makes him so clearly a rising star in our game. And then there's that serve, that gorgeous serve you know, Fritz, you could hear him communicating with his bench saying, I don't know what to do. Do I do I stand inside the baseline? Do I try to stand further back to get a clean rip on it? There's nothing I can do. And, you know, it was interesting to say Coach Russell hear him say, keep, keep moving forward. Try to take that serve early. Try to take time away. Of course, when he did that, he would offer up a floater for Ben, who would then have an easy first forehand to the open court or would serve and volley, put the first volley away. Again, Ben was really efficient behind his first serve today, uh, winning 74% of those first serves points. Again, he, he dropped just three points on serve in the first set. The problem was a couple of things still. A, you know, Ben will leave a forehand short. Fritz did a good job, especially back half of the second set and throughout the third of attacking that forehand with his pace. And, you know, then Ben would offer up a slice that Fritz could follow it in behind. You know, Ben, I still think, likes to hit his slice more than he needs to because I don't, he does not miss his rally backhand very frequently. You know, Ben gets a little wristy on that forehand as well. And so sometimes when pressured by pace, he has to turn to the slice or, you know, he'll produce a shank error. You know, again, his contact point sometimes, it's really is, it feels like it's a little bit different on every forehand. And so that shot will go astray. And that's what happened at times. And again, credit to Fritz, drops the first set. Ben, for all, has pressure in his for all service game. Taylor didn't go away. He didn't fold mentally. And again, that speaks to Taylor Fritz, who has always had this in him, even back in his junior days when he was winning junior U.S. Open and making his run in Memphis, making his run through challengers. Fritz always seemed to be able to find a big first serve when he needed it, to find a big first forehand when he needed it. He's always had that elite backhand as well, and he's gotten better and better as a mover, even if he remains the most reluctant volleyer. I've ever seen be a top 10 player. And yet again, the ground strokes are that good. The technique is that easy. Taylor's the king of American men's tennis right now. This was a pecking order match. Ben gave him, you know, again, this was a heavyweight bout. And Ben threw some big haymakers and Taylor responded. You know, the dipping forehand pass he had that drew the backhand volley long that ultimately secured the break in the third set. Taylor Fritz does not make that ball. 
even as recently as 2021 or maybe the front half of 2022, but it speaks to the work he, his team have done in turning him into the athlete he's become from a fluidity perspective, using his length to his advantage. Because again, if he gets his hands on the ball, he's driving that ball with depth, with pace, with action. He's doing something with it. Taylor looks like a top 10 player. Like Ben looks like a top 50 player. This was really good tennis. 4-6-6, 4-6-3, Taylor Fritz advances. You know, again, I talked about it beforehand, the narrative arc for Ben. If he wins, doesn't a guy who's the guy win this match? Okay, but a guy who's the guy does what Ben did, which is make it a three-set thriller. And sometimes the top 10 player like Taylor Fritz is, he gets you in the end. Ben is still on the guy trajectory, despite the fact that he didn't earn the guy signature victory here. I think Ben was that impressive. I really do. Like, again, it's... It's undeniable how big of a threat. His serve just belongs in the top 50. It's going to keep him competitive in every match he plays for the remainder of his career. It did today. Guess what? He's 21 years old. He gets to work on improving that forehand technique. He gets to work on the shot selection, which, of course, will get better with more repetitions. And, you know, again, can you imagine with this high, bouncing, gritty surface what his serve did here to Fritz? What's that going to look like for players going up against it on clay? Just how high on the shoulder it's going to get. He'll have even that much more time to explode through his forehand, which, again, that the heaviness of that ball on clay is going to be that much more effective. I think he projects really well to the clay courts. We've just never seen it. Obviously, we'll see him in Miami first, but... God, am I excited for the next few months, where again, Ben Shelton has zero points to defend. Ben Shelton, by reaching the second round here at Indian Wells, at a new career high, number 39 in the live rankings. I said 21, 20 years old. Come on now. I mean, yeah, it's going to be a fun ride. He's still on the guy trajectory. But, you know, again, that was one of many fun battles for the seeds on the day, although it was a pretty good day for the seeds on the men's side. I mentioned no tier one seeds upset. You look at the upper Echelon uh, players uh, in battle. And by the way, Alcaraz now up a break on Kokonakis in the first. So it looks like for now he's going to get through. But Sinner looked exceptional. Uh, three and six win over Richard Gasquet. I had him as my number two contender. Excuse me, coming into the event. I apologize for that. But, you know, you look at his section of the draw. Musetti knocked out. Kasmenovic knocked out. Still looks like it's a potential third round battle between he and Holger Runa, who advanced with a straight set victory over Mackie McDonald, looked very good in doing so. You know, I still have Sinner as my number two guy. I do. I think the delta between Medvedev and the rest of the field is still not massive, but evident. And I think Sinner's playing as well as anyone else. I just think he has the weapons to make life interesting against Medvedev if he's healthy and fit going into that match. But again, I would point to a good performance from him, good performance from uh, Felix Ogier Aliasima as well, was an 82-minute first set against Pedro Martinez. I shouldn't said a good per- uh, a good performance because his backhand was spraying. You know, he was he got impatient at times, and then he got through it, 6-4, and four, got the break when he needed it. Uh, at the end of the second set, it was the final service game for Martinez in the set where Felix ultimately gets the break. You know, again, gritty. That's what the best players do. They win when they're not at their best. Felix hasn't always been able to do that. He was able to do so today against Martinez, who just, again, didn't have enough of a weapon. Other than his slice, his cross-court forehand, didn't have a weapon, though, to hit through Felix at all. And Felix was there physically today. 
Good win for Tommy Paul. Straight so- sets over uh, Struff. He looked like the player he has been. 6-6 six and six win for Griegspoor again. He's playing his best tennis again. Uh, win for him over Guido Pea. Hercots 3-3 three and three over Popper, and I mentioned it. All Hercots does is make quarterfinals of 1,000-level hardcore events. So do not be shocked to see him involved in championship weekend. Good win for Sebi Baez on a hard court. He needed it. 3-1 and one over Rinka Hijikata, and then Francisco Sarundolo, a three-set win over Jack Sock. 4-6-6-3-6-4. Sock fought. He looks fit. He's moving well. Just didn't have enough to pressure that backhand wing of Francisco Sarundolo, particularly on this slow, gritty surface. So that's a good win from Sarundolo, who again has semifinal points to defend in Miami at the next event. So he's got to rack up what he can now if he wants to hold on to not only his top 35 spot, but his top 50 spot as well. Nevertheless, that's again the action we've seen unfold thus far uh, in round number two on the men's side. Still that Carlos Alcaraz match to go, but you know, again, looking at tomorrow's third, uh, third round matches plenty of fun ones on the board I know we had a bunch of upsets in the Tsitsipas quarter yesterday but you know Umber versus Rublev that's a lot of firepower that could be fun and then you know a quarter above that Hatchinov, Dvidovich, Fokina, Rusevori, Zverev, Ivashka, Medvedev, all going to be physical matches. All should provide plenty of entertainment on the day. And of course, we will be back tomorrow to recap all of that action. Now, prior to those podcasts, I do want to point out that we will be on ESPN and ACC Network Plus broadcasting a fantastic day of ACC tennis. Myself, Super Producer Daniel Westoff on the call. So be sure to join us to help fill the early hours. We start at 11 a.m. Eastern time. So prior to 11.30, excuse me. So prior to the start of Indian Wells, which begins 2 p.m. Eastern time, catch two and a half hours of really high-level college tennis. Join myself, Super Producer Daniel Westoff. We're really proud to be able to shine a spotlight on college tennis to be able to cover it on the platform that is watch ESPN, ESPN Plus, ACC Network Plus. So be sure to join us. Of course, a shout out as always to super producer Daniel Westoff for the event editing job he does day in, day out, making all of our Crack Rackets content possible. But with all of that said, shout out, of course, as well to our friends at Tennis Point, tennis-point.com. The promo code is CR15. Now for our fantastic super producer, Daniel Westhoff, our friends at Tennis Point, and from all of us here at both Crack Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network, I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. You know what we say. That's the break, and we'll talk to you all tomorrow. Thanks, everyone.